Welcome to A World on Fire, an All-Star Squadron podcast. I'm your host, Billy D, and alongside me this episode is Mark Gray. How are you, buddy? I'm very well, thank you. Always great in Scotland. We've had the Eurovision Song Contest this weekend. The UK did well. Ukraine won, which was brilliant. Stick one of Putin. All right, so here we go. We got two more issues here back-to-back with the uh, crisis banner on top, you know, letting us know that's going on. Some of the uh, material inside, you you know, you know what's going on and seems like crisis is creeping in. And sometimes there are a few pages here and there where it's just a, a bit of fun. What do you think? I think mostly it's all a bit of fun when when the crisis comes in. Well, as, as we'll talk about, I think the fun factor goes down a little bit. But overall, these are two very good issues. Yeah, Roy, uh, you know, like we've said, Roy, I think, uh, was doing what he had to do as far as, you know, maybe being mandated by editorial with uh, the crisis uh, tie-in here, but otherwise he was just trying to have a good time with uh, All-Star Squadron and, you know, JSA and these uh, wacky villains, the uh, Monster Society. <laughs> oh, I mean, this has some of the best villains of the series, not not people you normally associate with the JSA. I really, really like seeing them. Yeah, it's a crazy good time. So why don't we start out here? All-Star Squadron 53, you know, we've got uh, January 1986 cover date, and then uh, we have, you know, our... Uh, buddy uh, Mike Clark and uh, uh, Steve Montano as uh, the uh, cover artist on this uh, issue 53 here. And then we have uh, Roy Thomas and Dan Thomas as plotter, co-plotter. And Roy Thomas, of course, doing the script. And then uh, Mike Clark and Arvell Jones doing the uh, interior pencils. And then Tony DiZuniga and Vince Coletta doing the interior inks. Carl Gaffer colors and David Cody Weiss. Uh, letters. So why don't, why don't we look at the cover here first, Marta? What do you think of this one? I really, really think it's a fantastic cover. I mean, on the one hand, it could do with being a little busier, maybe a few more characters, some more words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm kidding. I mean, I absolutely adore this one, especially the floating heads. I'm a total sucker for floating heads. The only thing that could have made this cover better would have been to have it in a white box like on Batman Family. I wonder, though, would, would our pal Sean call this a grey cover or a green cover? <laughs> Probably green. <laughs> there's not a lot of green, but there's a good bit of green. The banner's green, and we have uh, Mr. Who. I almost called him Dr. Who there. He's got his green uh, you know, jacket on, and uh, we have the... Oh, gosh. What does he want to be called now? Not Nightshade, but he wants to be called something different. Romulus. Romulus. Yeah, Romulus. He's got his, you know, vines coming up out of the ground, grabbing Superman. And it almost looks like Superman's trying to use his heat vision to burn off his own hand there. But Absolutely. <laughs> it's tentacles, but it's fantastic the way you've got the, the, the faces of the the worried, you know, Hawk, mm. Hawk girl, Amazing Man and Robot Man, and then Mr. Mr. Mind at the top snickering away. <laughs> yeah, I love his crazy little faces that he makes. We'll we'll get into that. There's a couple of uh, uh, scenes in this one that made me chuckle a good bit. I like how he uh, yeah his his facial expressions are the best. <laughs> oh, it would be it would be better if he was drawn to scale though. Mm, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, absolutely for sure on that one. So, all right, so worlds in turmoil. So uh, you're gonna take care of this one, and uh, I'm gonna take care of issue 54. So whenever you want to get rolling, uh, Mr. Gray, you may do so. All righty. The issue begins with Nyola, High Priestess of Aztec Reign, Alaloc, calling down a storm into a prison yard. By her side is Ramulus, the plant master that we just mentioned, and he raises giant plant tendrils to terrorize the prison guard and the inmate that he has with him. 
The villains bicker about who is the most powerful, with Ramulus pointing out that the storm Nyuala is controlling comes from an unexplained red skies, not her precious storm god. A voice from a flying microphone, its extraterrestrial worm Mr. Mind, says they've both done very well, but should really concentrate on releasing the prisoner that they've come for. A blast to a cell brings a black cloud of smoke, and we see that there's a third bad guy on the scene, the mustachioed Mr. Who, who immediately uses his patent-pending Z solution to grow giant size and scare the heck out of a couple of guards with a giant foot. But then, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, Superman flies in and bashes him on the chin. Noala, Noala, not Noala, different person, Nyala throws a bolt of lightning at Superman, crashing him into the door of the cell where their target awaits, and Ramulus probes the room with his tendrils of terror. Aiming to stop the pack of villains by stopping the leader, Superman flies towards Mr. Mind, but the worm teleports everyone, including the unseen person in the cell, away. Superman is agog, he's aghast, when he hears just who has been taken. In this secret location, we finally learn who the mystery bad guy is. It's the dummy, one of the vigilante's regular enemies, his presence a testament to Mr. Mind's hero worship of radio entertainer Charlie McCarthy. The dummy seems vaguely amused by Mr. Mind wittering constantly about how he's going to do one better than Hitler and pals and take over not just a chunk of the world, but the whole darn universe. But as Mr. Mind flies out of the room, the other four villains begin making their own plans. At a loss as to what to do next, Superman goes to the All-Star Squadron's Perisphere headquarters. There, after telling the robot Butler Gernsback that he'd prefer to keep his cape on, he enters the room and sees many heroes. He recognises them all except one dark-haired man who looks a little like him, Dr. Occult. Hawkgirl tells the room about how the JSA had disappeared before Mr. Mind and co arrived. Sandy adds that she, he, Dr. Fate and Owlman were beaten by Monster Society members Nyola, Ramulus and Oom the Mighty. And Johnny Quick mentions the disappearance of Firebrand with some blonde straight out of Book Rogers. The heroes decide to split into teams and investigate the various disappearances, with Owlman staying back to monitor proceedings he's currently unable to become superpowered due to his dangerous addiction to Miraclor pills. He will do some good though, by calling other heroes and asking them to boost the active All-Star Squadron roster. Meanwhile, and indeed elsewhere, Mr. Mind emerges from his planning session to rally his troops. Unfortunately, his troops have ideas of their own. They don't want to conquer universes, they just want to plunder. Mr. Mind, who they still don't know is a titchy worm, says they have to do what he wants them to do. Not so, says Mr. Who, as Oom enters the room from the dark side of the moon with his massive flailing fists. Dr. Fate is dead, Oom claims. Mr. Mind says he'll control Oom with a magic red crystal. Unfortunately, the dummy has an affinity for magic and grabs the gem from an extra-dimensional hidey-hole. He hands it to Oom, who then fuses it with his body so no one can threaten him with it again. Oom announces that he is now the leader of the society and he crushes Mr. Mind's microphone ship and throws it out the window, reasoning that the real Mr. Mind likely isn't actually inside it. We follow Mr. Moon, Mr. Moon. Break. We follow Mr. Mind back through the dimensions as he searches for somewhere new to rule. He comes across a world which, he posits, is unlikely to have annoying superheroes. What he doesn't know is that this is Earth S, home to Captain Marvel, the big red cheese. How ironic. Three heroes who don't live on that Earth, but who see Mr. Mind's arrival as they return to their own world after a brief sojourn there, are Green Lantern, Liberty Bell, and Johnny Quick. 
They aren't alarmed by the flying Erector set. Belle and Johnny are alarmed when, instead of their homeworld, they find themselves on a massive satellite with dozens of unfamiliar mystery men and women. But not GL, who hasn't come through the latest portal with them. Or has he? There's Green Lantern, but he looks so old. And he introduces the woman at his side, who's dressed as a harlequin, as his wife. They're interrupted by Harbinger and Pariah, who begin explaining the crisis on infinite Earths. And here the comic leaps into Crisis Issue 5, and the battle against the crazy red tornado on Earth 1 in 1995. The battle ends with Johnny Quick bruised, but called away on a side mission, while Liberty Bell remains with the other heroes. Wow, so a lot going on in this one, but a lot of fun stuff too. I mean, starting right at the uh, splash page there, you know, world's in turmoil and, you know, this crazy lightning storm. Um, and I really do like how this one starts out. We see, you know, one of the uh, <laughs> prison inmates getting <laughs> zapped by one of the uh, lightning bolts. And of course, the prison guard doesn't know what's going on. And I love how you turn the page and then we see Romulus. He's got his vines coming into the prison and the... The criminal says to the prison guard, another one, hey, screw, you're supposed to protect us against guests of the state, or you're supposed to protect us guests of the state from stuff like this. I like how he calls him a screw. <laughs> yeah, that's, great. That's, that's one of the things I like about these Roy Thomas comics. It, he, you know, he always gives little, little, bits of, little bits of dialogue to random people. You know, it's like, you know, we don't know who this guy is. He's presumably just being taken from across the, across the prison by the guards for whatever reason. He's going out on exercise or something. But, you know, they, they both get a little bit of personality. Mm-hmm. I like how he uses, you know, terminology like they probably would have used it this time, too. Because I know that's a, you know, a term for the uh, <laughs> the guards at a prison screws or bulls, they call them sometimes. I like how he used that instead of being like, hey, guard, just something little like that. A little piece of dialogue like that. I like that. That's that's Roy to a T right there. Absolutely. I mean, Roy's obviously absorbed it from so many films and books. He, he could probably write, you know, write it without having to look any of it up. Just get get the, the old terminology in there. In fact, there's there's a word coming up in one of the issues. I think it's the next issue, which we'll come to, which I had to I had to look up. So it, it was it was good fun. Yeah. Yep. Oh, but yeah, it's good stuff. And then, like you said, you know, it's they're breaking somebody out but they don't say who it is. So of course, you know, if you haven't read this before, your, your mind's churning like, Oh wow. Who is this, you know, crazy super villain. They're trying to bust out of here and they're willing to go, you know, toe to toe with Superman to, you know, get this guy out of the prison and they do get him out of the prison. And then when you go back to the, their headquarters and you see it's a ventriloquist dummy. <laughs> I love that. That's a good bit of humor there. I love it. Oh, it really isn't. The dummy certainly, it just amps up the fun factor because, Roy gives him some great dialogue. I mean, I, honestly, if 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 the dummy had just you know been in every issue, I would, I would have been so happy. <laughs> yeah, I love the faces there on uh, page seven of uh, Mister Who and uh, Niola or Niola and uh, Romulus. Their faces when they see it's a, a ventriloquist dummy, they're like, "What? <laughs> I can't yeah. even believe it." <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it is it is just bizarre because presumably he's moving like 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 a little dummy, and that would be very creepy as well. But uh, with Superman, I love how Superman is just so golden age, unimpressed by the, these guys. He's just so cocksure and, you know, calling, what was he called, Nyala? He, um, oh, yes, a cheerleader in skivvies. Again, oh, yeah. What is dialogue? 
<laughs> yeah, that was great too. But yeah, it's funny because she gives him a good zap with that lightning bolt, knocks him back pretty good, which I was like, wow. I didn't think, you know, she'd be able to do that. I mean, I guess she is like a magic-based character, though. So, you know, that yeah, can kind of hurt him. powerful in those days as well. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. He wasn't like, you know, pushing planets around and stuff like that yeah, back well, then. Well, I think, didn't, didn't we have a Golden Age cover where he's getting a lightning bolt in his chest and he's going, it tickles, so not so ticklish here. Yeah, and then <laughs> the Monster Society transports away and Superman is like, you know, trying to figure out who got, you know, busted out of the prison. Quick, guard, who is it? Luthor, the lightning master, who? And then, you know, we don't, again, they don't say in front of us, but they do say to Superman who it was. And he goes, him? Why in yeah. blazes would crooks with the powers like those for breaking a prison to free somebody like him? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Superman's even heard of him, but presumably he's read leading comics number one, which came out that year. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, man. And like you said, Mr. Mind, he is a trip too. some of these faces he makes, you know, the way they draw them in this issue and the other issue, too. Oh, my gosh. His facial expressions are nothing short of hilarious, too. And he's really like, you know, hey, I'm the boss. You have to listen to me. And up until a certain point, you know, that his three minions do listen to him. But, you know, they're kind of just like, uh, I'm not sure about this guy. And they eventually mutiny on him. I do like that, too. That was fun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, why why would you take much notice of you? Know, yeah, you haven't met the boss. He's probably got a tiny little voice, and he's not letting you in on it. Sorry, they're not letting you in on their plans. So you would be suspicious and perhaps you know grow a little impatient. Mm-hmm. And like you said too about Superman coming to the Parisphere, and the first thing he actually runs into is uh, Winged Victory, and that's the only thing I'd question about the entire issue is uh, how's it hanging. Winged victory. Like, uh, I don't know if that was a colloquial expression in 1942 or 43, wherever we are here. How's it hanging? <laughs> are you sure? I don't, I don't know. It sounds to me like some sort of thing so American soldiers might say. The one. <laughs> we don't know how it's hanging because you've got that big cloak on him. <laughs> yeah, really? <laughs> I'll have to look that up and see where that uh, expression started. Maybe so I just thought, man, uh, early 1940s. I don't know if they were running around saying that, but you never know. Maybe, but. Oh, I, I love how. Because obviously, you know, I'm a, I'm a Brit, so I, I don't, you know, I don't have the knowledge you have of American colloquialisms. But to me, it just, it just sounds so genuine. I, I love how. Yeah, the you know, Gernsback tries to take his cape. I take your cloak, sir. Uh, sorry, I think I'll keep it on. <laughs> well, that's wonderful. It's just little, little bits of business that modern comic writers, for the most part, don't bother doing. But Roy, Roy just tries and packs entertainment into every panel. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then uh, probably my favorite page out of the whole book is page 10. You know, there's an oversized panel. It's about two thirds of the page where, you know, it shows uh, uh, Hawk Girl and she's kind of recapping to Superman what's gone on so far. And uh, oh, I love that. What do you think of that panel on page 10 there? I like I like that. I like the fact it's, it's on a strange, you know, a figure eight or an infinity symbol or something for no no particular reason, just an organisational thing. But I just love, love the way that the faces are being drawn with the spectre super mysterious, Hawkman unreadable, and Doc Occult just so handsome. I mean, what did you make of that bit about Superman wondering about Doc Occult? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what did he say when he first saw him? He did say something when he walked in in the Parisphere and saw him. He, look, he looks a bit familiar, but obviously you know what that is. Oh, he says to him, yeah, now let me make sure I remember all the names. And he runs through everybody, but then he says, but who's the civilian next to Robot Man? And he goes, I believe you know everyone here except Dr. Occult, He's uh, Robot Man says to Superman. 
yeah, yeah. But uh, it's just because, because you know, obviously Doctor Doctor Cold, he was created by Siegel and Schuster, wasn't he? So of course he looks like Superman. Yeah, he's very very similar look to him, <laughs> which is yeah, great. Got his own little little curl there. But yeah, good looking fella. They should have kept him around forever with the dummy. <laughs> yeah, for real. I do love how on that page, like I said, about ten there with that panel. Uh, I do like how Wonder Woman's rendered there. I really like her. her hair looks really nice, and her face looks really nice. I like how the job they did there. Yeah, it reminds me of the way that uh, in the seventies, when Wonder Woman had those sort of about a year worth of issues where they were set on what was what was said to be Earth Two during the TV series when that was set in the Golden Age. Mm. But I think it was Rich Buckley used to draw on, on the covers quite a lot like that. And it seems appropriate in, in All Star Squadron, started by Rich Buckler. That's that's the model he's perhaps gone to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that quite a bit. And then uh, the Spectre, I don't know. He he looks more like a, a Polish or Lithuanian woman with a babushka on there than he does the Spectre. His, 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 his hood there. His, yeah, his hood there looks a bit odd. Poofy. He just, he just looks creepy. But what, what I... The one thing I don't like about that panel is the ears of Hawk Girl and Hawk Man. They, sh- they should be breaking the panel. We need, to- we always need to see their ears. Just oh yeah, yeah, they're cut off. Yeah, yeah, you're right. They are. They're cut off. There, they don't look so great because they're cut off. Yeah, too. Mm. What, what? One thing that does get me. What? What do you make of the fact that everyone's always in so so much awe in the world of the comics of Superman? I mean, they're all su- they're all superheroes. He wasn't so much more powerful than, than everybody then. But everyone, I mean, I like that Sandy the Golden Boy isn't standing on Sony, but everybody else, gosh, it's an honor to be doing things. Well, Doc Hockleton's thing, but I don't know. I don't, I don't know quite why they're in, because back then he was, you know, he was regularly sort of, you know, still fighting the wife beaters and stopping the occasional train rescuing men from mine shafts. But I just don't understand the, the awe. It seems to be more of more like a, a reader comic book thing than an in world thing. Yeah, I love it. Like you said, Sandy. Hey, soups, long time no see. And Hawk Girl says, Sandy, please, that's no way to address Superman. Yeah. <laughs> Superman would appreciate that because he's just a regular guy in his mind. Yeah, 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 for sure. That's that, Yeah, that's a little strange there. But I love when yeah, they start kind of going over. I guess it's Sandy then that starts going over things again, too, about how, uh, you know, they the Monster Society attacked JSA headquarters and, you know, they barely got out of there and, I love the panel too, where it shows Doctor Fate fighting Oom, and he's pulling his hair. What do you think of that? <laughs> Page eleven there. <laughs> <laughs> how how could he not love it? It's just again, it's just such fun. I mean, the, the details of Oom's face there—it looks like something that you would get from a nineteen seventies Captain Marvel type comic, you know, drawn by Kurt Scattenberg or someone. But the coloring is a bit odd. Poor poor Doc Fate's got Oom's coloring in that panel, as if he was a transformed gargoyle. Yeah, I saw that too, and I thought, oh, that had to be a mistake because uh, all the other people on that page look, you know, the correct skin color and everything like that. But he's the exact same color as Oom, like this dark, well, I should say dark, but like a grayish kind of color. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, overall, I mean, I think they're doing, doing a pretty good job on the art. I mean, especially when I, I think, I think uh, Mike Clark absolutely loves drawing Ramulus because you get some lovely close ups of Ramulus. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And then, too, I totally, this threw me off. Every time I see or hear the name Crimson Avenger, I, I think of the guy, I, when did they change how he looked? Was it in the 70s or 80s there, where he's more like a detective-looking guy, like the question or something like that? So when I see this Golden Age version, 
on page 12, I'm like, that's not the Crimson Avenger. And I'm like, well, yeah, it really is. I, I, ah, let me think, when did the change? Because, yeah, because did he not start out as a detective type with a, with a Sandman type look? I thought so, but like the, all the times when they show him in these books as a Golden Age character, he's in that, you know, red suit there. So maybe that was a retcon or something like that, that he had this suit before that or something like that. Or yeah, is, it a total, yeah, is it a totally different guy? I know, but quite often, quite often I, I think something happened dead late, you know, quite late in the Golden Age. It'll turn out it was 1942 or something like that, because it seemed to get get so many comics out so quickly, even though they're probably only eight times a year, a lot of them. But I don't know. Well, we'll. We'll have to check up on that one, but uh, mm-hmm. I can't imagine Roy having the wrong look for the Golden Avenger in there. I mean, I know he very occasionally played fast and loose with continuity, but I think it paid him if he had to. So I think he probably looked like that. And that's my homework. Yeah, because the the first time I actually saw that character was the Secret Origins issue that uh, Gene Colan I think did the interiors for of Crimson Avenger. Oh, that I never read that one. I have seen it advertised, but I, I hear it was very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really good. It's one of my favorite issues of that series that I've read. I really enjoy that one. It's great, and it's like I said, he's in that. You know, he almost looks like the spirit or the question kind of that getup. Yeah, but so many of them did back then, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That was a that was a running theme, I think, especially once the spirit became a big deal. I think everybody was <laughs> trying to draw a character that looked like you know Dick Tracy or whoever, whatever you want to say, like a private eye. Yeah, but I, I like him having a fin. I'm such a fan of fins. It definitely looks different, you know. It doesn't look like all the other heroes, so it does set him apart. Um, it's a little bit and, like Tana's head insect. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It is <laughs> crescent on his head. And then uh, they start, you know, getting the idea that they they need more help. They need more heroes. And uh, page is it 13 there, where there's a top panel, and it starts to show uh, the other heroes they're going to try to get in touch with. And I, some of these heroes are foreign to me, like uh, TNT and Dynamite and Airwave. I don't know those uh, those heroes at all. Do you, Mark? Well, not not huge. I mean, Airwave. I knew I, I came across him in the Super Spectacular or two in the seventies, and then read the read the read the adventures of his uh, his son, who was Hal Jordan's cousin. Also, his son was Hal Jordan. So his son was also called Hal Jordan. So Airwave was Hal Jordan. Airwave's son was Hal Jordan, and for some reason, he existed in the 70s on Earth 1, so a bit, bit of cross-world continuity there. But yeah, 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 Airwave, Airwave I knew, and TNT and Down the Dynamite, I only know them because I think they're in an issue of Super Friends, and they're in the Golden Age, they're quite important in the James Robinson uh, Golden Age comic, which I've still not read, I've got it behind me. But I don't, I don't know them very well. And others, you know, I only really know like you know Sargon from occasional reprint or just his just his League story. Again, he he suddenly was appearing as if he'd always been on Earth One in the seventies. But uh, it's just, I just love it when they're throwing random heroes like that. Yeah, yeah, it's I love panels like that. It really, you know, even if it's just you know they're not doing something in the actual comic, just a panel where it shows them like, yeah, we're gonna reach out to these heroes or whatever, you know, uh, I do like that. I think Batman looks pretty good too. Wildcat looks a little goofy though. He's usually kind of more dour looking, isn't he? And this one has a big smile He's on his face. Cute. Yeah. And Zatama looks, you wouldn't, rec- I would not recognize Zatama without his hat because without his top hat, he looks like Congo, Bill and all sorts of heroes. Minuteman. Was it Minuteman? Mr. America, I think. No, rather. But uh, yeah, and we've got Aquaman with the yellow glove. So we know he's the Earth 2 Aquaman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, but I, that's an odd. I mean, the first half of the page with the heroes there, that's, it's just like they've been randomly plucked in the panel or whatever. As if, we, as if the artist was getting told one by one, draw him, then draw him, then draw him, and didn't have them all in his head at the start because it's just random heads, some part bodies, some whole bodies. It's weird. But the second half of the, of the page where you, you have the all-star squadron leaving the perisphere, it's just a, a much nicer composition all around with Hawkeye's Hawkeye's wings, you know, framing the panel pretty much, or crossing the panel. Mm, yeah, that looks great. I did feel bad for Our Man, though, because they kind of nominate him, because Superman says, shouldn't somebody stay behind to keep an eye on things here, or at home base, or whatever, and they're like, we nominate Our Man, because he can't really do much, and he kind of takes it a little hard, like, oh, thanks. He's a loser junkie, what can you do? <laughs> Poor Our Man, but uh, I like how we uh, see him later on, what he's uh, doing <laughs> with his spare time, but uh, we do see Oom returns, you know, the... Uh, the society starts to mutiny on Mr. Mind here, and he kind of says, yeah, well, you know, you have to do what I say because, and then the next, you know, here comes Oom all of a sudden. He came back from the moon, and he smashes his poor little uh, podcasting mic uh, into the stratosphere, and <laughs> what did you think of that set up there? Oh, I thought it was loads, but I mean, that, that, <laughs> that panel on page 16 where Mr. Mind sort of, you know, on the inside of the smashed microphone machine, and he's got the, he's got he's got cables in his mouth, and he's got the sweaty, <laughs> just brilliant. Yeah, I love it. It's like you and I have talked about it before. You know, sometimes Mister Mind, you know, is kind of a little bit of a crazy character, but I think it's a neat little character to throw in here amongst all this. You know, like you know, world-ending stuff going on, and you have this little crazy worm guy with all these facial expressions. It's kind of fun. It's, it's brilliant. And, uh, and I like that we've got a, a funny little sound effect in that panel. As, as well as fizzed, there's a zit made in lightning bolts. <laughs> yeah, when he has the thing in his mouth. <laughs> zit. <laughs> That's great. And what do they call it? An erector set. Some kind of erector set. Somebody yes, tried yeah, to turn like, it into scrap. Like erector set. <laughs> also on that page, at the top of that page, page sixteen, I like that when you know Oom was busy flexing his muscle, but you have the you know the the white white silhouettes of the rest of the villains. It's quite creative. Yeah, that's a nice touch there. You know what I mean? It really puts all that focus that they're trying to put on Oom. It's a really good job to put all the focus on him and just kind of have everybody else like you know instead of just in the background and fully, you know, penciled and inked and colored out, you know, it's just, like I said, just their silhouettes and it's in white. That's a really good touch. I like that quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, it really makes it obvious that Oom has the room. Oh my gosh, and then Mr. Mind, oh, I'm going to come to this new earth and it's going to be great. There's going to be no heroes here to stop me. And there's a, an image of Shazam in the background. It's fantastic. I love that little joke there. But, but yeah, he has a while. It's not until 1943 that they meet, apparently, so... He has a little bit of time to himself to enjoy being the world's wickedest worm. Mm -hmm. And uh, Shazam looks uh, uh, Captain Marvel, I should say. Uh, he looks pretty good there. He's all ripped with his muscles, and he looks like a pretty handsome drawing there. That's a pretty good deal. I like that. Uh, it's it's very nice. I mean, I'm surprised they didn't try and do him with the CC back eyes because he's just having eyeballs there, but it's, a, it's pretty, pretty darn good. Yeah, and then we get that next scene with uh, GL and Libby and Johnny, and they get separated, and at first it took me a minute to figure out what was going on here, you know, when uh, Johnny and Libby appear, and I'm like, where are they supposed to be now? And I'm looking at all the characters, and I'm like, oh, I think that's Black Lightning in the background. I'm like, oh, so they're like with the Justice League in the, you know, what, mid-80s right there, like right when, you know, all the crisis stuff is going on, I would assume. Like, don't they make mention of uh, crisis number five somewhere in here? 
That's that's the one. Yes, indeed. I, I went back. I went back and had a look in the collected edition to see what was going on there. It's pretty similar. Okay, that's good. Yeah, I thought. I mean, again, like we said with Roy, you know, you got to assume he knows his business and he's going to make everything be as close and fit in uh, as good as possible. He did. But what what's surprising about this? This this page, page nineteen, the top of. I mean, I know it says who the artist was at the beginning of the issue, but page nineteen looks to me total Don Heck. It you know I thought that when I looked at Johnny's face there too that looks very Don Heck to me on the you know third panel down from the top on the right there that yeah, looks the, very the, Don Heck yeah and the, the pausing the pausing of the figures I I just I can't believe it's not Don Heck I don't understand it at all it just is seems Don Heck yeah that's very wild to me when I saw that I thought wait who penciled this again and I go back to the credits page and I'm thinking to myself. Well, okay, it says Mike Clark and Arvell Jones. You know, I don't know. I mean, on that page, I guess it was Arvell Jones and then I think uh, Coletta inking by that time, wasn't it? I think so, yeah. I mean, and, and, I mean if it's Coletta, I mean, the page before that, page 18, I think that's my favorite ink page of the book when they're in, in the space between worlds and you've got mm. liquid blacks and Kirby dots and things. It's just superb. Then to turn the page and get to page 19 and everything suddenly. So, so I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a Don Heck fan. I don't... I don't diss Don Heck. He got, you know, his art wasn't served as well in the late years of his career because a lot of the time DC didn't bother getting anyone to ink him, and it didn't mm -hmm. quite as strong. But, but just to suddenly turn the page and have what really does seem like a Don Heck page. I mean, then back back to page when you get to page twenty, it looks like we're back to being uh, Arvel Jones. I think. Yeah, you, you look at Johnny's face on that page, and it looks completely different than the page yeah. before. Yeah, I, I wonder maybe if one of the alter egos or something like that, you know, makes mention of, you know, maybe did heck do that page for some, you know, bizarre reason. I don't know why he would just do that one page, but, you know, maybe he did. Maybe he did have a hand in this. You never know. Poss possibly, yeah, because I mean, you'll see. I mean, you probably know in the next issue we have a page cred not credited to the artist who did it at the start of the, the start of the book. So perhaps. You know, perhaps there might be something in the letter column, as you say, an alter ego. So if anybody knows, please tell us. Yeah, yeah. If there's anybody that's really into the back matter and knows, yeah, definitely let us know because I would really like to know because, I, like I said, just the, the faces from one page to the next where it's supposed to be the exact same creative team, it, it looks way, way different. And again, not bad for either page. It, both pages, I think, look good, but that definitely looks like Don Heck, that Johnny <laughs> quick face there. Yep, absolutely. I'm sure we're right. When are we wrong? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, okay, so then, yeah, things really start to get a little crazy here because, you know, uh, they're trying to figure out what's going on, and we do see the, you know, different shots of uh, everybody else around uh, trying to figure out, and what does it say? Meanwhile, on page 22, is it? Meanwhile, nearby heroes of four decades have combined their magical powers against the deadly storm, and they have triumphed, and then we see Dr. Fate, and I think that's... Zatanna there, and who else is on that page? John, well, oh. the, the Thunderbolts there. Three. Thunderbolt. The, three. Yeah. Who, who's the fourth one? Hang on. Oh, four, de oh, four decades, not four heroes, right? Okay. Yeah. Maybe then, Fla and then Flash comes running in there, too, and I like how uh, you look a lot older, Johnny says to him. And that's when they start to realize, uh, yeah, because it's not the 1940s anymore, buddy. Yeah. Um, then and then we're, there's... We're, Little per degaton there at the end too on the final page. I'm like, up oh, there he is. But I was going to say he looks tiny. <laughs> I mean, I know they did say he was 
a bit shorter, but he looks like a child compared to uh, Death Bolt and Star Sapphire. Yeah, yeah, he looks like a totally shrunken Jimmy Cagney. <laughs> I like how they say uh, uh, Death Bolt, oh, Johnny Quick, Death Bolt, but he's a crook. <laughs> I like that. Mm, but then they yeah. kind of say like, hey, this is everybody's world, even the crooks too. So, you know, maybe they're going to be willing to help out and figure out what's going on. I can see that because, you know, because they come from a time when things were a lot more black and white, whereas the Earth one here was even by 1985, the case, you know, you have Bat- Batman having, a, you know, having fun with having an affair with Catwoman and people changing sides. And yeah, I can I can see that. But it, it, it's just there's that word again, just a load of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was a fun one. Yeah, I really enjoyed this one quite a bit. You know, like we said, sometimes when the crisis stuff pushes its way in, it's not quite as fun, but. You know, overall, it's fun issue. And again, the, the Superman and uh, meeting up with the All-Stars and JSA characters and, you know, the, the Monster Society and uh, Mr. Mind getting sent to uh, Earth-S. That was fun. There were some good funny bits in this one, too. Absolutely. It's it's just it's just such a shame because when we do, when we do get to the crisis, the, the actual crisis bit, when we're always having to serve someone else's story, as we were saying before, just it just seems like a little of the heart goes out. He's having less fun, and I don't know. Anyway, let's let's yes, let's let's move on to the next issue and see what happens there. Yeah, let's let's forage on here. So, All Star Squadron fifty four from February cover date nineteen eighty six. Uh, you know, and this one was uh, Mike Clark and Dick Giordano on the cover, and then uh, everything else though we got uh, our buddy Roy Thomas and Dan Thomas. You know, credits for Plotter and Co-Plotter and Roy Thomas script, of course. And then pencils, Mike Clark, Arvel Jones, and then another guy that I had never heard of, uh, Jerry Aserno. I had never heard of that guy before, but he does a, a, just one specific page in here. We'll get to that. But then uh, inks by, again, Jerry Aserno. I'm assuming just on, on that one page he did. And then Alfredo Alcala. But tell me, uh, so, where, where are you seeing the name Jerry Aserno there? So on page seven, I don't know if you're no, no, reading I, this. Oh, right. I, I thought you had a version of the comic because I'm, I'm re- my original issue of the comic is back in England. So I'm reading it on, on the app. And I, th- I thought you were going by the credits because, yes, it's, it's signed by Jerry Cerner when we come to that page. But I thought I thought you were doing this from the credits. And I'm thinking, have I missed something here? No, 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 no. I'm actually looking at uh, uh, comics.org for credits. But yeah, yeah it's uh, he, he has his uh, signature there at the bottom. And like I said, I, I didn't know this guy. I don't know. I actually had never heard that name before. Is he somebody familiar to you? I've come across his name. I think I think it is something with Roy Thomas in you know either one of one of the secret origins or here. I've come I've come across his name previously, but I see I I'm a, I was thinking I was very clever spotting his name and spotting a different art style. But you know you've you've gone straight in there with that. But uh, mm-hmm. I'm assuming that page is a repurposed pinup. Yeah, it it does look like it was just specifically put in there to be like a pinup just in the middle of the story for some reason, <laughs> and I they make an excuse for it, but. Um... Uh, oh, yeah. So, yeah, Alfredo Alcala and Vince Coletta again uh, on the inks and then Carl Gaffer colors and David Cody Weiss was on the letter. So. All right. So what about this cover? I mean, it, my favorite of the two is definitely 53 and not because this is a bad cover, but this one just doesn't do as much for me as the other one. What do you think, Mark? I'm with you, Billy. I, I mean, I, I really like the cover. It's not as brilliantly rendered as yeah, a Jerry Ordway image or the previous issue, but it is so gleefully comic booky with grinning Oom dominating the heroes, even though Oom isn't in the room. He's just having such a great time, and I I like this blue cover. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. And I mean, I like GL. He's there and he's making a boxing glove to punch him, <laughs> which doesn't make a lot of sense because he's like a giant in this uh, cover here. And you have Batman swinging in there, the lightning bolt behind him. But yeah, it's just, I don't know. There's just something about it. I don't know. If, I, love I, it. I, I don't know. I like that uh, Tarantula's using his, his wire poon or whatever it's called. Is it a wire poon anywhere? His gun with his grappling hook gun or whatever to hang on to the pointy bit of the perosphere. Yeah, there's like a catwalk around it that's getting smashed by Oom. And you have Amazing Man and Golden Age Flash there at the bottom. But yeah, I just don't know. It's just, it's not a standout for me. And when compared to the one before, it's just, it definitely is not anywhere near as fun or powerful to me as that one. Uh, but I like it. I still like it. Oh, Oom's finger's a bit pink, but yes, it's, it's good. <laughs> Yeah. So, all right. Well, we'll just dive right into this one here and then uh, we'll go from there. So uh, we peek in on the heroes as they scour their respective cities with a monster society of evil. Back at the Perisphere, our man and the robot Gernsback play Jin, <laughs> but are taken off guard when GL, Batman and Robin pop in. Our man fills them in on what's been going on. Next, we see Oom and his cronies as they're heading for All-Star Squadron HQ. Oh, and Oom swallows the red orb that was previously used to control him. So a little foreshadowing here. Keep that in the back of your head. Um, Once they reach their destination, the villains attack our heroes. But soon, even Oom's cohorts realize that he's out of control and must be stopped. As Oom attempts to kill our man, GL uses his powering to blow up the red orb inside Oom inside Oom's stomach, and he explodes. Dr. Fate shows up and explains how he returned from the moon, but the red sky is upon them, and they must face facts as Firebrand and Harbinger arrive and tell them about the impending doom across all worlds. All right, so initial thoughts here, my friend. What do you think? Another very solid issue, just lots and lots of fun. It's... Mm -hmm. Really, I'm really, you know, really enjoying the combination of heroes who we've been getting in in the forties. The, the, the monster society of evil, the Oom, the Oom society. They they <laughs> got a nice a nice chemistry between them, and just the the antics, you know, the, the you know, it's like who gets to be the leader and who's following whom. Oom, <laughs> I never tire of seeing Oom, and mm-hmm. it it's excellent stuff. So what were your thoughts on the very first page here where Roy, what he did was there are six panels of, uh, you know, some varied shapes and sizes. And he basically has the heroes uh, monologuing to themselves in thought uh, bubbles here. And just as one of the heroes is finishing a sentence, the hero in the next panel picks up uh, with what they were saying in their own version of what's going on in, you know, their city. So what did you think of that? Like and I, I made I made a note that I enjoyed the, the, a relay recap. It's something that I've never seen previously. I've never seen, it. and it seems so obvious in retrospect. because so, so many comics start with you know people on little little quests, and why not? Why not have a recap that way? To, I mean, you know, yeah, it's a bit it's a bit corny, it's a bit cheesy when, but you know, they're all thinking about the same situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get a little look at everybody, diff- different settings, different people, even the totally useless guardian. <laughs> <laughs> what was the point of him? But no, what did you make of it? Yeah, I thought it was a lot of fun. You know, we had Amazing Man here starting out, and he's in uh, Harlem, and he's you know talking about what's going on, and it 
segues into Superman, who's flying through Metropolis, and you know he's looking for the Monster Society of Evil as well. And then all of a sudden, it uh, the scene shifts to the Shining Knight, who's in Philadelphia, and he's doing the same thing, monologuing, and then that transitions to Hawkgirl and which Hawkgirl and Sandy, which was my favorite of the bunch. How <laughs> she goes, Hawkgirl says, "Why'd you insist I set you down, Sandy?" And he says. Hey, you're great, Hawkgirl, but do you think Sandman's partner wants to be carted around like a baby? <laughs> <laughs> well, I like that one the best. And then we have... Uh, the age, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> She's like, all right, so swing around on your uh, harpoon there, or your wire poon. Uh, who has the wire poon? Not to actually. My apologies. <laughs> yeah. Then we transition to uh, Dr. Occult and uh, Robot Man. He's carrying him around like a baby, which I thought was kind of funny. <laughs> yep. I mean, you've, you've got to be carried if you can't fly. Mm-hmm. And then we transition to the very last panel, which is, as you said, the useless guardian who looks like he's wearing sunglasses and singing to himself. <laughs> yeah. And, and he's another character who, you know, Earth 2 character, Golden Age character who, in the 70s, suddenly he's apparently been on Earth 1 all the time because he was related to Roy Harper, we were told. Strange business. Mm-hmm. And then we transition to my favorite uh, part of this entire issue, back at the Perisphere, where we have Our Man and Gernsback playing gin together to pass the time. I love that. <laughs> See, I, I would have known that was gin. Oh, oh just say gin, sir. That's, that could be how you know. Clever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Roy's, Roy's, Roy's great. And then, wow. But, the, but already the art the art is not as good Alfredo Alcala inking Mike Clark it's just not working for me it's not anywhere near as clear and concise as the previous issue that is for sure it definitely looks way different I, I totally agree with that I mean I do like the splash page there page three where you know we see GL Batman and Robin coming down uh, I think that looks pretty good but yeah you can definitely see a big difference from last issue to this one with Alcala here yeah, that, 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 the splash page is good. I mean, that's, that's a very, this is going to sound really weird and perhaps creepy. That's quite an unusual butt shot on our man or tower man. As we it does it. look, it does look bizarre, doesn't it? It does look very strange. <laughs> you think he, well, he's lunging, so, you know, he's stepping out in one direction and he's moving in the other. So it's probably perfectly right. And it's, it's anything a bit different I like. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I like on uh, page four there, you know, we have three panels at the top with a lot of dialogue and then four at the bottom with a little bit of a recap. But in between, we have a headshot there. And again, uh, uh, the specter looks a little bit odd, but everybody else, I, I like a, a, good, a good bit. I do like the floating heads like that. That's, that's one of my favorite I, things. I, I love the, the, the huge bouffant coming out of Wonder Woman's tiara. <laughs> Yeah, that is pretty wild. And again, that's a big departure from the previous issue as well, where I pointed out that one panel and I said, hey, she looks pretty good there. Yeah, and because Johnny Quick's basically just a blonde guy and we have so many blonde guys in the comic, I like that he's the only one being given a bit of extra details. He's got a floating bow tie to identify him. Yeah, they didn't draw a neck or anything. It's just his face and then a bow tie floating right underneath his chin. (laughs) Exactly who it is. That's just crazy, isn't it? It's just wonderful. Good mm. artist. And then we get our buddy Oom here, you know, smashing through the city. And he keeps telling his buddies here, uh, uh, Romulus, uh, Mr. Who, and the ventriloquist dummy. And, you know, they're, uh, oh, and uh, Niola too, I'm sorry. And uh, <laughs> I like how <laughs> the ventriloquist dummy, he kind of is pretty smart. 
and he thinks he's a lot smarter than Oom, but he knows Oom could just totally smash him with one blow. So he keeps trying to, uh, you know, kiss up to him and stuff like that. And he says, we definitely do remember, oh, breaker of Brodnagian biceps. After all, we saw how you got rid of Mr. Mind after you came back from the dark side of the moon. And Naola says, why you boot licking? <laughs> it's, it's just a delight. And then in that, in that same panel, though, it's that one big panel split into, split into several little ones. We've got uh, another another bystander, because like, last time we had the the, uh, the the two guys in the prison, the prisoner, the prison warden and the prisoner having little bits of personality. And now we've got this, this random guy on the street, you know, going, oh, now I'm seeing things, serves me right for going outside during all this surris, T-S-U-R-I-S. And I had to look that up. Did you know that word? I didn't even notice that panel of dialogue, to be honest with you, the the, <laughs> the, the passerbys. No, well, I, I looked at it, and apparently it was North American Jewish slang for trouble. And maybe it still is. I mean, perhaps, again, if anyone's listening and knows this, knows the word, because I've seen so many U.S. sitcoms and films where, where you know, where they have the bit of Jewish patter here and there, you know, but I've not, not come across, or maybe I haven't, I just haven't noticed the word. But I just, I just devour this kind of, I love this detail that Roy gives us. Mm, yeah, and Ooms, you know, now remember, he almost has like Solomon Grundy dialogue. He says, remember the name of this group now is Society of Oom. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> it is indeed. And I, and I noticed when I was reading the comic, I was thinking, you know, noticing that Roy wasn't given a specific date at the start of the comic like he has for so many issues. But then on that page, we have, the, you know, there's a Daily Star newspaper floating tiny in one of the panels. And it says, you know, Japanese air raid on Mandalay, which looking it up, it began on February the 1942. And the worst attack was on the April the 3rd. So given issue 50 began on April the 1st, this is going to be the fourth or more likely the fifth. And I just think you have to really credit Roy for keeping consistent. He, even when he could just throw all this out because time is going bonkers with the crisis, he's still, you know, getting the details in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you, you know, we know he, like I said, he he worked tirelessly to try to interconnect, you know, uh, the, the future and the past and make these stories, you know, basically make sense being written in the early 80s. But, you know, having been happening during the uh you know the world war ii era so that's it, it i'm not surprised roy he always to me does his homework and it doesn't mean he can't make a, a gaffe here or there everybody's human but he does a really good job at trying to, to eliminate a lot of that he really really does what did you make of the, the final panel on page it's final page five yes oh <laughs> oom's face this is so weird so yeah. it, the, the panel is just his face but his face almost looks like it's stretched out to fit a square panel. It looks really bizarre. It does. I mean, if you didn't know that was Oom, you might think it was Humpty Dumpty or sort of any or somebody. But it's again, it's, it's Mike Clark just thinking about things and giving us things a little bit different, which I enjoy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're not kidding. It looks great. And we get to the next page and Oom just starts smashing a car and explodes for no apparent reason. And uh, <laughs> I love how... Uh, you know, the ventriloquist dummy, he, you know, almost outsmarts himself here by getting a little too uh, mouthy with Oom. And then Oom picks him up like, you know, a toy. And he says about how he's going to uh, swallow the stone, which is that orb that can control him. So, oh, or I'm sorry, gulp. He just swallows it. <laughs> gulp, he does indeed. But a second ago, you were mentioning, Billy, that, uh, you know, even Roy can make little mistakes. And in the previous issue, Oom, you know, mentions that he's going to, Fuse it to his body, 
the redstone to his body so that no one can control him. And we see him, well, we don't see where it lands, but he's slapping it towards his armpit. So he seems to be doing this twice. Yeah, it's almost like he pulled it out of his armpit so he could eat it then, which is disgusting. Oh, man. Oh, I don't know. Some of the things my cat does. Anyway, let's not go there. But <laughs> yeah, just before he eats the red, the red Jew, that, that panel of sort of him picking up and squeezing the dummy, it's absolutely fantastic. The, the expression on the dummy's face, the pop-eyed and the big mouth, great work. Yeah, like he's kind of getting ready to be like, yeah, like ah, and yell out. <laughs> I do love that, too. And then the four of them looking aghast while he swallows that red orb. That's funny, yeah. too. I like that. <laughs> but even when he's meant to be scared, it still seems like the dummy's having the best time. <laughs> For real. <laughs> and then here we go. So we mentioned in the credits, and then we talked about uh, really quick there, you know, what about page seven here? It basically looks like, you know, they asked this guy to draw a splash page of the Golden Age Flash and uh, his uh, Lady Joan zipping right over railroad tracks right before a train runs them over here. I like this uh, pretty good. What do you think? I think it's excellent. I mean, he's, he's certainly capturing the style of the Flash co-creator, Harry Lampett. It really has that, you know, that, that sharp golden age looking and do I, do I, John looking, you know, totally, totally like it. Well, like a silent movie home and he's been tied to the tracks. I, mm -hmm. I, I mean, it's random. It's filler. But, you know, Roy connected to the next scene. It's a treat. Yeah, it looks really neat. It does look like something that was drawn in the Golden Age. Uh, so that's pretty neat. I, I enjoy it. Like I said, it's probably just a little bit of a page filler here, but it was pretty cool. But, uh, yeah, back at the Perisphere, you know, we got all the heroes like, what about this? What about that? You know, a little bit of dialogue there. Batman doesn't really have anything important to say. He just basically stands there with, you know, an open mouth look on his face. And then all of a sudden there's a, you know, the whole building shakes and, Thoom, you know, is that another joke with Oom again? <laughs> it could be Thoom, Oom, Thoom, <laughs> but it, it's, it's very nice with the, the sound effects arced across the top of the panel. Yeah, it looks really, really neat. And again, you know, some sound effects too. The next page, when uh, the robot gets like, you know, smashed and thrown in through the wall here, the uh, sound effect is crash. <laughs> Can't say fairer than that, Billy. Oh, that's great. And then you know, there's a, a rumbling noise and rumble. It's <laughs> great. I almost thought they were like having a good time doing this. It is great. I mean, I, I I don't know Mr. Who at all, but it's quite unusual. I think to have a, a big, a big sort of thrusting giant figure having glasses. Look, you know, he looks like the scientist and he's big, just a, a big hulking brute. Yeah, I almost forgot who last issue or last episode, Sean. Uh, made a reference to a Marvel character. Who is it? And he said he looks Dr. just Dr. like him. Dr. Faustus. Oh, yeah, Dr. Faustus from like Captain America. <laughs> and he does. He looks just like him. Awful lot of comic fans as well, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, you know, it looks like in the beginning here that, uh, you know, the, the Monster Society or Society of Oom, excuse me, is going to do a number on uh, the All-Stars and JSAers here, but and that quickly goes down the tubes. You know, GL uses his ring to make a giant fist and punch Mr. Who. And how about that? <laughs> then Flash comes in and just punches him like hundreds or maybe even thousands of times at rapid speed here all at once. And look at all those, <laughs> all the crazy. Oh, man, what is it? Like, I can't even, you can't even make out some of the uh, 
it's it's brilliant. But again, we, again, we going back to the previous side effects. We've also we had uh, you mentioned the theme. We then had just after that we had Woom and we had Throom. But yeah, I mean, I've made a note. The panel of, the, of Flash beating up on Doctor Doctor Faustus, Mister Who. It's probably a few lyrics in there, really. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty wild. Pow, clop. Like, there's, it's just like uh, probably 20 different sound effects, and they're all sl- like smooshed together on each side of Flash punching him. He deserves it. I mean, I, another thing I enjoyed on the previous page, actually, when. Uh, a big, you know, Doc, Doctor Faust. I'm doing it again now. Knowledge, <laughs> no, you got there, uh, Miss Mister Who, and he's startled by Greenland, one of Greenland's patented big hands, and he's saying that huge green left hand. I mean, have you ever not had anyone point out whether it's a left hand or a right hand? I mean, that's that's fussy to me. That I'm imagining is you know Charles Winchester from Master someone of a big, you know, big fussy pompous type. <laughs> yeah, I like how too. It's like. When he's attacking, his hair and his beard are like, you know, like he just came out of the uh, barber shop or something like that. But on that page 10, that uh, bottom right panel, his yeah. hair and his beard are all messed up. Like, oh, <laughs> he's in yeah, trouble. I mean, growing the wrong part of his body. <laughs> yeah, it looks kind of weird. <laughs> I like it, though. But, oh, man. And then we finally get something for Amazing Man to do here. Like, it's he, he's kind of been just a piece of furniture lately up until this point. You know, just with a few lines of dialogue, but uh, I do like this part here where uh, he uh, touches a rubber tire so he can pull a uh, Reed Richards here. How about that? Oh, it's, it's wacky as heck. I mean, it's, I think it's the first time we have actually seen Amazing Man have fun because obviously he was introduced in a very, very serious storyline, so it wouldn't have been appropriate for him to be enjoying himself. But, uh, you know, here he's got the serious face on, but he's making thinking gag about Plastic Man. And he's just drawn like a total gear yeah, somewhere between Reed Richards and one of the metal men. I absolutely think it's brilliant. Yeah, that's a great panel. There's lots of detail in it. It looks really, really cool. That is that's probably one of the best, you know, panel of the whole book for me. A very neat panel there that's just showing something really crazy happen, but it's drawn very well. Oh, it certainly is. I mean, if if Maisie Man had more scenes like that, he might have lasted a bit better in comics. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it's a shame, too, because like you said, other than that storyline that he was in where he was the focus, you know, since then, he really hasn't had a whole lot to do. And it was nice to see him get a little bit of, uh, you know, action here in this one. Yeah, yeah. But then we turn to page 12 after, you know, complimenting page 11. And I mean, I don't know whether you can go. Have you got the original comic there or you're on a machine at the moment? I got the original comic. All right. In that case, don't don't tap a screen to go large. Put your eyes really close to panel one. I mean, how sketchy are Batman and Robin and Nyola, Nyola, whatever she's called? The arts get really, really, really rushed at this point. I've never seen a, a worse Batman and Robin in my life. Yeah, they are very, I mean, they're not very big in the panel to begin with, but yeah, they are very, like, Batman has hips like a, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of how to describe it. His his bottom half, his torso, and his hips and legs look like a very sexy woman to me. Um, but then the rest of them, he's like swinging his arms really wide. His left arm, like forearm and hand, almost look like a dinosaur. <laughs> yeah, a dinosaur puppet. Well, you know what? You're over in Scotland. He almost looks like his arm looks like the Loch Ness monster there. That's what it is, Nessie. <laughs> it looks very, very bizarre. 
I don't know what they were. That's, that's like, uh, yeah, very, very, like you said, a rush job. Yeah, but I, I think he spent spent all the time on Tarantula's bottom in the final panel. This is a good issue for bottom watchers. It is for sure. Yeah, you could see really there. He's like, no, he is kind of like lunging as well. But yeah, it looks like super skin tight his backside in this uniform when it's never looked like that before. But I love the trees with the uh, faces in like, you know, ghosts or specters or something. Yeah, like they come out of the land of Oz or something. Yeah, that's great, though. And then uh, as he pulls the what not not web gun, what's it called again? He pulled that out. Snap. <laughs> I don't know because I, I I miscalled it the wire the wire prune. I don't know what it's called anymore. Yeah, I almost thought it was like they're making fun of Spider Man, so it was called the web gun. But I could be wrong there. Oh, it could be. And then look who gets a mention on the next page. Well, yeah, he uses that to you know uh, do a wrap around to stop these demonic looking trees, and he says. I think I'll wrap them up and take them home to my housekeeper, Olga. <laughs> she was great. Yeah, if anybody oh, else can remember oh. her, she was great. <laughs> well, because yeah, was it was it Johnny Quick that she beat up? No, it was a tarantula she beat up with a broom, wasn't it? No, it was it Johnny Quick? Anyway, I think it was beat, Johnny. <laughs> I think it was Johnny, but you know, the Olga Star Squadron. We need more of Olga. Mm, yeah, she was great. But he comes in and he gives a, a good kick to Romulus there and then uh oom really starts to get pissed off here and he more looks more like the incredible hulk here screaming or abomination and gl tries to use his ring to stop him but uh then the ventriloquist comes and kicks him in the head <laughs> poor gl absolutely and, it's, and you know Roy never mentions why why the, the green's effective against the dummy robbers is because the dummy's made out of wood mm-hmm. yep yep and then what is a he he does say something really cocky here though doesn't he the ventriloquist dummy but uh oom says to him Oom should smash you to splinters. Oom was about to beat him when that's anything uh, from the furthest from the truth. He says, uh, ventriloquist or a dummy. I'm sure you were. I was just trying to speed things up. That's all. <laughs> so he's still being a bootlicker. <laughs> oh, we need, we need not couple type sitcom with Oom and the dummy. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That would be great to two of them in a, you know, an apartment together and going to work every day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All that that would be great. So what did you think of this, you know, getting towards the end here when GL basically kills Oom? What did you think of that? Well, why not? He's a he's a magical being. He was a gargoyle at one point. He's he's bad. It's the golden age, crisis times. And they always come back, Billy. They always come back. <laughs> they don't ever really die yet. His face at the top of page 15 there, far right top panel. Wow, Oom looks really crazy there, like his red eyes and a spittle all over his teeth. Oh, that's pretty good. That is someone that you'd want to put out of action the first chance you get. Mm, yeah, but yeah, GL does it right away. He's like, don't worry, Flash, I'll take care of him. And yeah, he explodes with an E-ah and fablam. <laughs> this is a, a superb issue for sound effects. Indeed. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, and then <laughs> there's the ventriloquist dummy on page 16 with a knife. I don't know where he got that from, but he's running around with a knife, and then we see the return of Dr. Fate, and then he explains how he got back from the moon. <laughs> yeah, very cursory, but, it, you know, if it happened in All-Star Squadron 3, I believe it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're I think you're right on that one. Oh, mm-hmm. I thought this is an editor's note there. Yeah, All-Star Comics 3 from 1940. And... Yeah, I know nothing. Yeah, <laughs> but 
Yeah, but I mean, so... the explanation is pathetic as to how he survived on the moon. It's like, what does he say? I tore off a hunk of rock which contained just enough oxygen to keep me alive. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny. He goes, he goes, I'm not exactly a 98-pound weakling myself. A bit of a Captain America uh, <laughs> reference there. So I tore yeah. off a hunk of rock which contained just enough oxygen to keep me alive. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Mm, just silliness but you know we get to page 17 and we get another you know half page where you know you see uh, some floating heads here i like that too when all the heroes see some lightning in the red sky so here we go with the crisis absolutely but i mean the, the floating heads the one of towel man in the middle above robin just mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah he's got this you know he's aghast at what's going on here and uh you know i like batman's face too he looks like he doesn't know what's going on. And when do you ever see Batman nowadays have a face like that on? He never does. He always knows exactly what's going on because he's super bat now. Yeah, but ni- 1941, he's probably not even been into space previously. So to see cosmic skies, then again, he's fought a few magical villains. So, but what 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 did you make of the, 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 trans- the transition narrative boxes by Roy? Oh, on that page 17? Yeah. 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 Mm, yeah, I mean it's okay. Um, it's it's not my favorite, but it's okay. He's just he's just taking the piss, basically. It's just you know it's like let's see to what point in the tangled history of the crisis on infinite Earth tarantula and amazing man have been snatched. Imagine our surprise! It's the little gathering in the monitor satellite to which the honeymooning Johnny Quick and Liberty Bell have likewise been dispatched just in time for. And then Harbinger talks. It's like it's really oh god this again. You know I'm contracted to do this. Yeah, yeah. Like you said, you you know his heart was in All Star Squadron, but once he had to start forcing this storyline into it, he uh, you know his heart wasn't in it as much or wasn't in it at all. Uh, and not that he was like phoning it in or anything like that, but he definitely just was doing stuff because he had to do stuff, and that was pretty much it. Uh, I think I would have liked a little, a little more had he, you know, just try to be a little bit a little bit more sort of you know i'm taking this seriously this matters sort of business because boy does it matter in the end yeah so what did you think about page 18 here i thought this was an interesting choice with firebrand so it's a completely stark white page with firebrand almost like they took her out of a page somewhere else and just cut around her and her fire powers and pasted it on a white page here it is it's it's striking. It really, really catches the eye, and that, I think it's excellent. I, I'm going to give Roy the benefit of the doubt. I, I think it probably he did. This is what he always intended because you've got, you know, you've got the huge, great, you know, picture of loads and loads of people, and you've got Harbinger wittering on about whatever, and then, you know, we're moving, we're moving forward in in time by a few minutes, and you mm. know, the, obviously she's moved to a different a different place entirely, and she, we see on the next page where she is and who she's with. But it just it's just a really powerful transition scene. So, you know, we're definitely somewhere else. What's going on here? It's drama and we've not seen Brandy properly for quite a while in the story. So my God, I called her Brandy. <laughs> I, I really, really like the it's possibly my favorite page in the issue. She looks fantastic. She like the way she's drawn here, she looks great and the fire around her looks really good. It's just the the complete background being white i thought oh again were they running low on time here and it's just just put that there i don't know it just seemed a bit odd i think i think i think it's just drama again then oh maybe it is a time thing because 
on the next page, even though it's a full page, a full page panel, there's a lot, a lot of detail there, a lot of a lot of characters. So it could be that he was given. Are we are we back on Arvel Jones at this point? Anyway, he's given the well, he's given the artist a bit of a break. Yeah, could be, could be. Yeah, um, Arvel Jones was, uh, I think, page sixteen, sixteen or eighteen. Six, yeah. no, eight, eighteen. Arvel Jones took back over. So yeah, that's him. That's him doing uh, brandy there. Uh, but I do like this next page, and <laughs> uh, you know, she's uh, brandy's pointing at them and says, "All right, you guys, sound off. I want all your names." So they basically do a roll call here. And again, a lot of these characters I did not know either. Like obviously, I know Miss Liberty because we saw her. Uh, what issue was it where she was in? She was in one of the issues where it started out with her. Was that the Liberty Bell story? That was two issues or three issues? And she was mentioned as being Liberty Bell's what, what, what's the word word five brand users? Ancestress. But you might you might have <laughs> in, in the uh, in a Justice League story about 158, 159. But yeah, she mm. was a character in Tomahawk. In fact, this very month she's starving in an episode of checking checking back to the check, you know, the Go Go Checking podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, check, check it past, and she's she's a fun character. Yeah, and then of course you know Viking Prince. That's a, a Joe Kubert guy, I think, isn't it? I think I have a couple issues with him in it. I think so. I think he was he in the original Brave and the Bold issues before it became Team Ups. I, I think so. Yeah, yeah, because I think that's where I I think I saw him. I think in one of the Brave and the Bold issues, but it's like an oversized issue where it has a Brave and the Bold story, and then there's two or three reprints behind it. I think there's a a Viking prince I have, and it might even be something that was like early Silver Age or late Golden Age that Joe Kubert did where... Oh, so just, it was very early Silver Age. Yeah, they just threw that story in there too, and it's actually a really excellent story, but you know, so him I knew, and then I didn't know uh, Valda, the Iron Maiden. I'd never heard of her. Oh, she, she's one of Roy's original characters from Arax, Arax on the Thunder series. Oh, okay. His, his version of Red Sonia, his gal pal. She's she's French from the time of Charlemagne. Yeah, I have some of those issues, but I have not read them yet. Um, and then are the Golden wonderful? Gladiator. Yeah. Oh, are they? Yeah, I don't. I don't know where the Golden Gladiator is from, but I know he came back a few, a few years ago. And I think it was a book by Walt Simonson about a coin that was passing through history or something. But uh, again, mm. he, he, you know, DC sword and sandals type character. And then Silent Knight, I have heard of him, but I don't know that I've ever read anything with him in it either. No, I mean, I, I know of him, but in my mind, I always get confused with Shining Knight. But it's quite, yeah. quite amusing that he's, he's introducing himself. I've known as the Silent Knight, but in this waking dream, I need to keep silent no longer. Mm-hmm. He's silent no longer, so <laughs> now he's just the knight, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But you, you know, the other, I mean, I, I'd never heard of the Roving Ranger, a, a guy dressed in black on a grey horse. Never heard of him at all. No, no, nor have I ever heard of the Black Pirate and his son Justin. Never heard of them either. I, I, I think I think the Black Pirate may have come in a whatever happened to story. I've come across him somewhere, but quite obs- quite quite obscure. I mean, could these be any more obscure? I like this other guy, Don Caballero, and his blade. El Capitan are yours to command, Senorita. <laughs> yes, I, I never come across him, but I need the Zorro sound effect. Mm-hmm. And then we got the two Western characters here, the uh, Trigger Twins, Walt and Wayne. I never heard of them before either. Yeah, I think they were from also Western or somewhere, but I, I like the way that the, the, uh, the word blues position. So if you didn't know, you might think they were actually conjoined twins. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. The way that looks, that does look a little strange, doesn't it? 
I like to, there's a little caption box at the bottom. Alas, however, information on the origins and sources of these time toss heroes will have to wait till next issue. Roy. You want to know. Yeah, and then we get to see uh, too, then um, a little, uh, it says, see Crisis 5 and 6, where we see uh, Firebrand, her talking to, uh, is that uh, Nuclon there? And uh, I'm trying to think of what's that guy's name. That's the Atom. Oh, yeah, yeah, Adam. He's just in his different costume. Oh, yeah. no, no, no. Is it, is it the Is Cyclotron? It's Cyclotron, actually. Yeah, it could be Cyclotron. Oh, no, she said it's the Atom. Nuclon, the Atom, and I. Because Cyclotron has, yeah. he has a little pencil mustache. Yeah, so that's how you know he's evil. <laughs> yeah. Mm. But yeah, it's a it's a neat way to end it. But like you said, it's just kind of, I don't know. You, you see them all like, you know, go off because, you know, all these heroes are kind of going to try to help Firebrand uh, go to uh, uh, where the space shuttle is going to take off there, the rocket, uh, Cape Canaveral, you know, to save the day. Yeah, I do enjoy the again. I enjoy the scenes of the you know one wandering through the the suburbs or whatever they are on the beach with you know with the, the locals and the cars. But what's going on here? Weird panhandlers and, <laughs> and, and and the heroes, you know, various characters reacting. So it's it's whenever, whenever you get characters from different periods of DC history mixing, if I know them, it's great. If I don't know them, it's probably even better. Yeah, for real. <laughs> or they could be, like you said, a lot of them seem very obscure that I know they're trying to pull everybody out of the woodwork here. Maybe Roy was just having a little fun here with something that he didn't really want to do. I think so. I mean, the, the only one that makes me go, ooh, should he be there, is the, the Silent Night, because he looks like his helmet. I mean, especially top off page 21, where they're all having a little little uh, parade. It looks like he's from the clan or something. <laughs> oh, yeah, it does look kind of goofy. <laughs> I didn't even notice that, but yeah, he does look kind of wild. Mm. The last page I do like. That's a that's a pretty good piece of artwork there. I like the very last page there where it shows uh, next issue, Crisis at Cape Canaveral, or Everybody Wants to Rule the World. <laughs> Absolutely. And, then, you know, I'm not lucky enough to be talking about next issue, but wow, have you got a cover to talk about? Mm. Yeah, you're not kidding. <laughs> so um, hopefully... Uh, you know, when we get to the next issue there, um, we'll have, uh, I'll have uh, our buddy, uh, our brother in arms, uh, uh, Sean, he'll, uh, he'll, he'll have more to say about that stuff than me. <laughs> well, you know, ask you what color the covers were of these last two issues, because I'm now going to be addicted to knowing what color Sean thinks the covers are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he That's really likes one. that. Oh, man. So, all right. So overall, what do we got here? Two fun issues that, you know, especially if even if you're not a crisis fan, there are some fun things you can find in them. So, you know, definitely two fun issues, right? Two two great issues. You know, OK, we've, we've lost the, the thread that we've had in the first three, you know, where three dozen or more issues of having the, you know, the, you know, the regular little band of, you know, Robot Man and Liberty Bell and joining everybody, just mix, mixing, mixing it up. But just to see people, you know, you know people like, you know, uh, Sandy the Golden Boy get a part, and Batman hanging around, and 
these heroes from history and just basically it's just nice to see them start the dummies book yeah yep it is you know it like we said it's you know when you see uh the classic you know jsayers and all-star squadron and stuff like that you know meshing together and going on missions and things like that that's that's really enjoyable for me and you know, again, I don't even have anywhere near the history you and Sean do with these books, but it, it does. It's a good sense of nostalgia and it's a lot of fun and I really enjoy it. Oh, it really, it really is. And, you know, things like just having having Firebrand getting, being said batty by all these characters that she's come across. It's just terrific fun. Yeah, absolutely. And it was good to see Firebrand again and, you know, have some dialogue and a bigger part. And then, uh, like I said, good to see Amazing Man getting a little bit of action there too instead of just being a wallflower i enjoyed that too absolutely i mean i really wish that you know have after introducing that you know roy has had a chance or chosen to sort of put him into into a more prominent role you know because you know he obviously had his favorites like you know robot man bell johnny tarantula but i think you know will will had such huge potential and you know i don't know whether you know that but we, we do get a modern version of amazing man later in in jeff johns's jsa who's got a really interesting design, but he's, he's not around long enough for much to be done with. So at some point, I'd like a good long run of an amazing man in DC comics. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. But, so yeah, just great powers like the absorbing man. Just fantastic. Mm-hmm, absolutely. But all right. Well, I think I may have, I'm not sure if we, if the timing where it was on that uh, last episode with Sean and I, but I definitely wanted to get your thoughts here just as a quick aside before we wrap up on, uh, you know, we recently had the passing of two, you know, big heavyweights in the comic book industry, uh, uh, George Perez and uh, Neil Adams. So uh, any thoughts on those uh, two guys, Mark? Just very, very sad to hear they've got them off, you know, obviously Neil Adams pretty good age 80 but actually younger than my dad but not not a bad age to go and an amazing legacy of artwork i mean he, he, he as everyone's been saying he, he changed he changed comics when he when he you know started making an impact in the six in the 60s on his you know likes of batman and x-men and the avengers and people began drawing more and more like him and changed the sensibility of comics so i mean his He's not my favorite Batman artist in years of so many people, but he's certainly, you know, one of one of the Batman artists who defined an era. Mm-hmm. Uh, so obviously it's very sad he's gone. Can talk condolences to family, friends, and my fellow fans. But I'm glad that he at least got to a, you know a certain age, as they say. And with George Perez, I mean, I'm I'm fifty something now, and sixty seven to me seems like nothing. Like, I mean, again, because whereas Neil seemed to have died of natural causes, poor George had. An illness and gone gone far too young again. An amazing legacy of work he's left behind him, and it's lovely that in the, he did get to see because his death, you know, because his coming to me was announced that he got to see the outpouring of love and affection for him. And just, I mean, he must have known previously how much he was. Sorry, that he was respected. And people liked his work a hell of a lot, but just just to see the outpouring of feeling towards him before he actually went probably you know might have eased his passage a little i hope i hope so anyway but i mean george george perez he was you know absolutely i mean on the justice league it was tragic that he came to draw the justice league after poor dick dylan had died after drawing it for about 14 years or something but he he came on and he gave us you know a couple of years of brilliant artwork he did so much great work at dc and marvel over the years 
I mean, I'm, I'm never not happy to see an issue of, or even a page of George Perez artwork. And I'm just glad I've got so much of it here, so much of it collected, so much in my collection. But again, you know, huge condolences to everyone who knew him and worked with him because a giant of the industry and a, I hear a very nice man. Yeah, I got to meet him one time and it was great. It was a great experience. It was uh, somebody I wish I would have met more than once just because of the experience I did have. I only had the chance really to meet him the one time, but yeah, great guy. And Neil usually was very busy too when I would go by his table and a lot of times he would be charging like a pretty decent sum for a signature. So yeah. I thought, well, that's probably not happening for me, you know, uh, but I would have loved to have met him too. But yeah, two, two giants, you know, two guys that definitely defined some eras, you know, and like you said, with Neil late sixties and seventies and then George Perez, uh, you know, even late seventies and then eighties, there, just two guys that were just huge in this business. Yeah. We were so lucky to live through their careers. Brilliant people. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, Godspeed to both of them. So, all right, Mark. Well, that's going to be it for this episode. So next episode, I'll be back with Sean and then uh, the one after that with you. And, you know, we might have a little surprise coming for our uh, very last episode, which is only about six away or so. And uh, we'll have more information coming up about that. Uh, so keep your ears uh, open and your eyes peeled. But uh, if anybody wants to find you out there, where can they uh, seek you out, Mark? I've got a blog called Too Dangerous for a Girl. I'm on Twitter at, at Mark Gray. I'm generally commenting on everyone's podcast somewhere because I can't shut up. Um, <laughs> you find, find me here sometimes as well. But for now, I'm going to be going out for a drink with a dummy and we'll be having a great, great time plotting against Oom. <laughs> for sure. So, all right. Thanks for tuning in and take care and see you next time, everybody. Bye.